Okay, so today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be covering something that's going on. That Well, it's been going on, I think, in the last month or two. Um, pretty much what's, what we're going to talk about is there's a church up in Canada. It's Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, I believe. Mm-hmm. And basically the church is called Grace Life Church. And from what I can gather is that they've been doing kind of like what America's been doing. They had like a whole COVID mandate where it's like you can't have uh, groups of like was like 50 or more or something like that. Well, in in uh, in in Alberta, apparently the mandate was that you couldn't hold services with more than 15 percent of whatever the building's capacity is. If you have a sanctuary that seats say a hundred people you could allow no more than 15 people in the actual uh, yeah you could have a, a if if you had a, a sanctuary for a thousand people you would be allowed to have 150 people in it Jeez. that's the kind of uh you know so when you're talking about smaller churches of say you know less than a thousand people yeah a couple hundred yeah even a few hundred people you're talking about basically only letting in anywhere from a you know a handful of people to maybe a few dozen at the most so obviously when you have that situation it becomes let's be perfectly honest you can look at this and say well we're keeping the churches open well you're keeping the churches open in name only but what you've done is you've created in this a logistical impossibility yeah you made it to where they're open but they can't do anything like you're, you're legally open but you cannot actually congregate you cannot have uh you know let's be perfectly honest who gets to be the 15%? Exactly. How do you decide who can come to what service? What happens if you have people who basically are wanting to attend services that aren't normally there? Um, do you turn them away at the door, which is according to uh, the mandates that are being handed down? Yeah, you do. Um, in, in short, how do you actually function as a church body, as a body of believers, um, in a situation where you're basically being told um, the facilities which you have dedicated for the use of spreading the gospel are going to be truncated in this way. Uh, The people that you are allowed to minister are going to be reduced in that way. It's basically one of those things, oh, well, we'll pay lip service to keeping the churches open all the while making it um, virtually impossible to function as an actual church. They're basically, they're not closing the churches, but they're making the churches close themselves because they can't really afford, they wouldn't be able to afford to stay open, you know, given those parameters. Exactly. It makes it more difficult. Let's be perfectly honest. And and it's the alternative that's being given is, well, just go digital. Go go uh, go on the Internet. Do a live stream service. Exactly. Do all of this, you know, 
And so at that point, it is like, oh, well, and then it becomes, well, how do you meet the bills? Exactly. Yeah, people are basically, um, you know, do you, it's like, oh, put the tithe check in the mail. Well, then that becomes a thing towards pushing people. Well, all of your giving needs to be online too. Yeah. Um, and there's and, some churches who just can't do that. They're too small to really go online and probably do that. Or they just don't know how to. They don't have the resources. Um, the people in the con let's be honest, here in the United States, one of the major things is in rural areas of the in the United States, there is a real push on to make internet access available to everyone, but it is not available to everyone, especially in the rural areas. There is no connectivity. You uh, you either show up in person or it doesn't happen at all. And so this push towards anything, this notion that anything that happens in a regular service can happen in a digital service, it, it, and it's like, actually, there is a biblical mandate for um, congregations to gather together yeah. in Scripture. Um, you know, for forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, even the more so as you see the day approaching. Now, let's be perfectly honest. Digital assembly is not the same thing. No, it's not the same thing at all. Because all you have are individuals or small family groups in individual homes or individual locations linking by the internet to whatever feed is being shown of whoever is speaking or whoever is within the view. It is not like you are in the midst of the congregation. All you're in, you, you have, let me put it this way, you have dictated interaction. Yeah. Because the interaction of you within the service is not uh, two ways. You're basically reduced to a television viewer. Yeah. You have no thing. It's like, oh, well, pastor, I need you. Can we stop the service? So-and-so here needs prayer. Yeah. Um, we need to do this. We need to lay hands on this person. We need to minister to this need. We need to do this. It basically creates a one-way uh, connectivity and uh, essentially the, the freedom of worship becomes severely truncated in all, in all respects. So the idea that somehow digital church is the equivalent of actual physical meeting together church. No. Um, it's, it, it's like, no, it, it is not. It is not the communion of the saints. You have to have that in-person connection. Like, I know there's a lot of people who are, you know, introverts and antisocial to a degree. And it's like, oh, well, they've been, you know, thriving throughout this whole thing where they've been told stay at home. And they're like, oh, okay. But it's like, you have to have that per like in-person uh, connection at a church because yeah, you can watch TV preachers and stuff and get stuff out of it. You can get great things out of that. God can work through that. But like you said, there comes a point where it's like, you need to have the laying on of hands and 
people praying for you at an at you know at the altar. It's like there has to have there has to be that mm-hmm. in certain situations. You can't always just be a viewer. Sometimes you have to be active in it. Exactly. And it's not like every local church has a call in center. Yeah. Like when you're watching, you know, television ministries on a Christian network where they got like 20, 30 people. And all they do is answer phones. and Exactly. It's like, how are you going to do that now? It's like, well, first of all, you can't let that many people into the building. Yeah. And if you could, they'd have to social distance. And, and, you know, and, at, and, and even that becomes impossible at that point. And, and at that point, it's like, what are they all going to do? Wear a mask while take, we're talking on the telephone because there's other people in the room trying to take calls as well. Exactly. And you're trying to communicate with somebody who's talking to you while wearing a mask on a telephone. I mean, the, the nonsensical nature of this makes it pretty much obvious that there is these mandates are ridiculous ridiculously detrimental to the survival of many uh, congregations it, it's it's an attack on their cohesiveness as a unit it is a, an attack on many times the forms of worship that actually require people to jointly participate um, it is in direct contradiction to the mandates of God wor- God's word to assemble yourselves together, not virtually, together. Uh, and, and so the idea is that, you know, that you cannot do this the way God's word prescribed. Now, understand, the minister at this church, uh, James Coates, it's uh, C-O-A-T-E-S for anybody who's actually going to look him up online, he he addressed what most people are in uh, are using as kind of a big stick to beat down Christians with, and that is the misquoting, or rather I should say the misapplication of Scripture, in um, in Romans. Whenever you say anything about anybody doing anything that is not lockstep with whatever mandate and and let's be honest this is not a law passed by the canadian parliament this is not it doesn't it, it is not yeah um it's part a mandate. of their founding documents it is a mandate handed down by let's be honest bureaucrats um and so it it is definitely different we see this in the united states of america the mandates that are handed down by health officials at the state and local level, these are not laws. These are not laws passed by uh, the individual states. They're not laws, a law passed by uh, the federal government. Um, you know, you hear a lot of these things, well, you have to obey the law. Well, these aren't laws. Yeah. And then the other thing is, well, they may not be laws, but they have lawful authority because uh, the deal is the powers that be are ordained by God and we have to obey these powers. And so one of the things that Pastor Coates did back on February the 14th is he went directly, (laughs) a, a novel idea in this day and time, 
he actually did what ministers are supposed to do. He stood before his congregation and he opened up the word of God and he went directly to the book of Romans and he examined all of these scriptures that are being misapplied. And what did he do? He took them all, he read the verses before and the verses afterward. He didn't take them out of context as many are doing and spin them for a predetermined uh, end. He actually did the, the principle of biblical exegesis is text without context is error. And so what he did is he took uh, the scriptures that people have been misapplying. He went to where those scriptures are written in the book of Romans, read the entirety of the passage, and then showed how people who have been spinning these verses actually um, have been taking them out of context. He put them back in context, showed the responsibility of the church to uphold the word of God and basically and to be a witness to not only all people, but to be a witness to all governments as to the rights and privileges uh, that government has and that government does not have. And at which point the church has a mandate to either obey the appointed authorities or to disobey those authorities because they have overstepped their God-given authority. And so that's where he uh, preached from. And he took not only the verses in Romans, but he took verses from other passages because the um, biblical mandate is line upon line, precept upon precept. Basically, no, no passage of scriptures of any private interpretation. You can't just, you have to, it's got to work within the fabric of the entire word of God. And so his message of February the 14th, the day before his arrest, um, actually did just that. And it's online. There are multiple sites, I'm sure, that one can basically, if you do a search for James Coates and Grace Life, I'm sure that you can find the February 14th message where he laid all of this out in far greater detail than we're going to touch on today. He has a solid scriptural basis for what he's doing and why he's doing it. Um, that being the case, um, all Christians, all let me put it this way, all, all true Christians, all Bible-believing Christians, spirit-led Christians, born-again Christians, um, should stand with um with with uh with James those Coates. with James Coates that congregation and those like them who are basically and and this is the tragedy of it they're not just standing for the individual rights of grace life to congregate together they are standing together for everybody everywhere rights to gather together and to worship God. 
uh, to proclaim the gospel, to preach and teach the word. Um, these are the things that, that uh, people need to understand. My concern is that we are seeing so few who are willing to actually open the word of God, study this matter out. First of all, the question is, where are the voices? Why is it just James Coates and a relatively small number of other voices who are speaking out on these things? And I will say this, the media has done good in basically hiding it and all that because you can't find it unless you know about it already. And I will say this, you know, if you are a true Christian, just try to support Grace Life as much as you can or as much as you feel led to do because, you know, with them not being able to be in their church because you said he got arrested and, like, because he did. Like, he got arrested. He was in jail for 34 days, I believe, is what it was. And then they released him. They released him. And now there's like two or three fences deep surrounding their church that they can't even get into. And I last I saw, because I watched some videos about it and read up about it. I want to say there was people with like, there was like policemen there and people with guns and stuff basically guarding the church so that people couldn't get into it. Yeah, apparently they showed up sometime in the middle of the night around 3 o'clock and uh, in the morning. How convenient that it was 3 o'clock. No, I'm kidding. That's just... Well, anybody who understands the meaning of uh, the, the... That's when you get into bit, like the numbers and stuff about the where... The meaning of numbers and certain times. Yeah. Because uh, 3 o'clock's uh, one of those hours where it's like the dark, like a dark, it's one of like the darkest hour or something that. Yeah, it's one of those things that, let, let's be perfectly honest. Um, well, let me put it this way. Jesus would have been, um, if you look at the time that Jesus was arrested and then tried in the middle of the night yeah. before he was beaten, before he was put on the cross and before he died, yeah, you can pretty much talk about there are certain times of night yeah. where those who worship darkness um, have a have a pre uh, a real liking for, and about three in the morning happens to be that time. Yeah. Um, so they came there. They apparently switched out the locks. They constructed a fence around the building. A fence around. Uh, the parking lot, and as I under, I'm led to understand, a further fence, a third fence, because apparently they, you know, don't think the first two are going to get the job done. Um, beyond that, and, and so, all that I think was done either before he was released or um, just after. It was done actually just within a couple weeks after he was released. Wow. And so you know they've they've built this fence. Uh, they had. Uh, as I, as I understand, uh, local police there, um, and now a private security firm, which, which is, yeah. Uh, and of course this is all being paid for with, you know, taxpayer money there in Canada. And so essentially they, they have essentially, uh, turned, um, it into a, they're holding the church hostage. It's basically. no. It, it's being held as as a private security compound now. 
Yeah. And at this point, you have to really say, um, this is this is beyond the yeah. pale. Um, this goes beyond a, a mandate just for COVID. Yes, and and I know people hate these kinds of comparisons, but it really isn't much different than what you saw in World War II. Yeah, with you know, it doesn't matter the kind of a uniform. It doesn't matter the whether it's a fascist dictatorship or a communist dictatorship. It doesn't matter if it's the old Soviet Union or um, or, or the Third The uniforms Reich, change, or, but the but mindset. But the attitudes remain the same. Yeah. It's just one of those things. And for me, the big – and this is just where my mind wanders because it's like a private security firm. I'm like, what are they doing in there? You know what I mean? It's like – because you know they're not just sitting there hanging out. It's like something's got to be happening while they're inside there. Well, I don't know how much of the interior of the building that they have. Obviously, if you change the locks and you have the keys. And you have three fences deep. You it's, can, like, you, it, it, it's like, yeah, um, how, much, how much liberty is, is being taken with those facilities? One doesn't know. Um, the bottom line is you look at this and you say to yourself, if that can happen to Grace Life Church in Canada, it can happen to any church in Canada. If it happens in Canada, it can most certainly happen to any church in the United States. And where the arguments are coming from is like, well, if they hadn't violated the mandate, they wouldn't have been in this situation. And the question is simply not why my question is, why haven't all churches defied that mandate? Yeah. I mean, it is not as if there is biblical, there is there is biblical uh, precedent for this. This is not a thing where, uh, here's the mentality that we had in, a, in the United States concerning the COVID thing. When early on, nobody knew much about anything about COVID. Most of the churches, whether denominational or independent, thought, you know what? We are being asked by the state and federal government to basically err on the side of caution until and, and we need to find out what it is we're dealing with here. And that until we do, we need to basically try to play it safe, try to be good members of the community and try to prevent the spread of this thing until we see what's going on. Because at first you heard a lot of people basically talking as though this were the great influenza yeah. of a century ago or the Black Plague of the Middle Ages, where basically we were going to have people basically dying left and right and falling in the, you know, people dying behind the wheels on the highways, people dropping dead on the sidewalks. You yeah. know, just it walking. sounded like it was going to be the end. Yeah, I mean, the 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 hyperbole about this was such that you would have thought it was the end of all civilization if if we didn't, you know, shut Do everything something. down. Well, let's be perfectly honest. In the uh, with the lack of actual information, people decided, you know what, we're going to do by and large. Decided, you know what, we're going to. Um, play it safe 
to play it safe. We want to be good members of the community. Um, and, and so they did that. But the attitudes were quickly revealed to be much different. Yeah. Um, at this point, it, 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 there was a point where it became obvious that the COVID pandemic was not um, the, the Black Plague. Yeah. It's not like what happened in Africa with, with Ebola viruses and such like that. This was not going to be a situation like that. At this point, I believe the numbers are somewhere around 1% death rate for all COVID cases. And it's like, that is, of course, a terrible thing, the loss of any human life is. But you also have to keep the matter in perspective. 99% of all people who contract COVID are not going to die from it. Okay. Will there be adverse physical effects from it? Yes. Anybody who catches any disease. Yeah, you can catch anything and be messed up afterwards from it. Exactly, especially if you have underlying medical conditions. But we need to understand that basically we have by, you know, one year through this, a pretty good idea of what their survival rate is. And so when you look at this and it's like, this is where it's at. Um, you, you get the idea. It's like, yes, um, COVID is a real thing. Yes, people become sick from it. Yes, there are actually people who die from it. But this is what we can expect in terms of um, the number of people who will be uh, uh, infected, the number of people who will uh, swiftly recover those who will have longer term issues and the number of people who will actually pass from this. This is not the Black Plague. Do we take it seriously? Absolutely. We take it seriously. And we believe in ministering to those who, um, who actually suffer. James Coates made reference to this in his February 14 message. But we do not, however, cease to be human beings, cease to be Christians, cease to be part of the body of Christ and cease functioning as the body of Christ. Um, because of it. Because of this, because of fear, because, uh, and, and again, this is one of those things. It's not that it isn't a real thing. But this is not what people were fearing one year ago at this time when people in uh, universities and medical centers were putting out models that were just spitting out some incredible numbers of expected casualties. Yeah, as a we result were expecting of millions upon millions just uh, like us alone from yeah. what it sounded like. I mean, our memories are so short. I mean, if you listen to the histronics that were going yeah. on, and there seemed to be more reason to last year. This year, let's be perfectly honest, we actually have real facts. Exactly. And so what we're seeing right now is not a thing where governments are asking churches to partner with them for the greater good 
yeah in the face of overwhelming um uh sickness and death and and we have to prevent you know because that's how it felt before it felt like we were all kind of coming together to be like all right this is what we need to do to try and bring the numbers down and make this not even an issue yeah, everybody was supposed to kind of hold hands. We get through this together. We all sing Kumbaya. Yeah. We do what we're supposed to do, and then this will pass. And then we realized it's like, no, um, this is this is becoming a thing where this is going to be a perpetual yeah. situation that we didn't sign on for. And so it, it's becoming obvious that... Um, this has moved beyond what is reasonable. It's moved beyond, um, you know, what what is, in many cases, legal. Yeah. Uh, and, and and certainly beyond what is biblical. It's getting to the point now where it's becoming more than just mandates and asking people to come together and do. It. Now it's kind of you kind of get the. It's like a stern asking, you know. It's like we're on the verge of things being forced upon us. We're, we're people are as James are, Coates found out. Yeah, yeah. The body of Christ is not being encouraged to do the right thing for the greater good in the face of an overwhelming um, health crisis. We are now being commanded without. Uh, without choice, without freedom, you will do this or. And the truth of the matter is the thing about this is, is it's moved beyond what is reasonable. At this point, we, we have seen churches shut down. And, and my concern is that we are at this point, you do not see churches and denominations standing up to say, we believe in doing the right thing. What we do, but at the end of the day, we bow the knee to Christ. And and so this is a thing where, uh, again, where we've seen governmental overreach. This is what Coates taught about back on February 14th. And what he and his congregation have continued to battle against the frightening thing to me is that they're again like you said un- unless you know about this yeah or somebody who knows about this tells you it's not like you're going to get on you're not going to get on fox or cnn and see anything like this you're not going to even yahoo news doesn't have this exactly your media and social media are basically suppressing the story if there is any coverage of this it's going to be in such a way as to make make it sound uh, not that bad. Yeah, or that basically these people up in Canada or wackadoodles that are basically just out, you know, religious nut jobs who basically uh, don't have any regard for the community and are just trying to perpetuate uh, COVID, which is completely nonsensical. Um, the thing that bothers me more from this whole thing is because um, when I looked it up, you know, there's people with their responses to what's going on with Grace Life. And there's a lot of people who are happy that 
there's fences around the church and that coats got arrested. There's a lot of people who are like churches, local churches around there that are like, I remember there was one church that said, uh, basically they were just upset that judgment came, uh, that judgment took too long to get to coats for doing this. And it's, that's the thing that bothers me more than anything. Cause it's like, Okay, so these people that claim to be Christians aren't even going to stand up with this guy. Well, and and I find that those kind of thoughts interesting because the question is, whose judgment? Man's judgment or God's judgment? Exactly. See, it's always interesting to me. First of all, I I think the thing about it is is I I listen to these these um, people. Uh, first of all. If you thought what he was doing was wrong, how many of you of these so-called ministers actually contacted Coates directly and tried? You know, there's this this passage that says, "Come, let us reason together." Yeah. If you really believe that there is scriptural uh, reason for him to uh, go ahead and shut down and to go with these mandates and all of this, then as a brother or sister in Christ. You have a uh, obligation to go to them and attempt to convince them. Yeah. You also have an uh, an obligation to be open to listen to their position and to uh, recognize that you know what I need to be as aware of what they're believing and what they're practicing and why they're practicing as I am of my own position. Yeah. And regardless of whether at the end of the day you convince them or they convince you or neither of you convince the other, at the end of the day, if you are truly their brother or sister, then you have a mandate to pray for them. Exactly. And so to gleefully pretend that you are their brother or sister uh, while yet enjoying taking pleasure in their persecution reveals to me that you know what is it what did John say uh, basically this is this is how all men shall know you're my disciple by the love you have one for another if I don't see that love, my guess is you're not his disciple. Exactly. And most people don't even go to the person they have an issue with anymore. It's just a bunch of keyboard warriors trying to make themselves sound good on a social media platform to a bunch of people that they probably don't even know and people that they won't even meet. And it's all about your appearance now instead of you know what you actually believe. Because if you're a Christian, you're supposed to go to these people that you have issues with and talk to them because, you know, you're technically you're all on the same level because you're all brothers and sisters in Christ and you should be able to go to go to each other. Like if you have a problem with someone in your family, you can go to them because they're your family. And that's how it's viewed as being Christians. But there's just a lot of people who they I feel like they talk to people that they have issues with. About as much as they pray. And that's very little. <laughs> yeah. A lot of these people 
spout prayers that other people pray and they take quotes from other people because it's a bunch of people who would much rather steal someone's work than actually put in work. Yeah. Uh, I understand that. It's like there's a bunch of authors and Christian leaders who actually put in the work and read the Bible and pray, and they have an honest relationship with God. And that's why people steal stuff from them, because they've actually put in the work and done stuff, but these people don't want to. Well, that's why when— It costs too much. Well, that's it. There's a price to be paid to hear from God. Yeah. There's a price to— to be paid for truly getting a revelation by the spirit of the word of God. There is a price to be paid for anything worthwhile in life. Um, But unfortunately, you know, among the many words of Jesus that are routinely disregarded in this day and age, the principle of counting the cost before you do something, uh, you know, there's a price to pay for anything. And so you need to be aware of that going in. And if you're not willing to pay that price, then be honest about that. I, I look at the situation. What I, am, I, I was impressed with with Coates was simply, his thing was simply this. Um, he went to the Word of God. And people think, well, you know, my opinion is this, that, and the other, and we've talked about this. God doesn't grant us the right to our own opinion. He grants us the right to his opinion, and then it's up to us whether we either conform to it or rebel against it. Coates' position and, and that of the congregation there was, this is God's opinion, therefore we must go with this. And so, um, and who should we please, God or man? And they did count the, the cost. Um, Pastor Coach was willing to go to, to jail for it. Um, they were willing to continue to do these services. Um, and, and so my, my real concern is, you know, outside the snide remarks of people who may or may not be actual Christians purporting to be Christians, whether they actually are or not, only God knows. You know, I mean, that's, that's the truth. Only God truly knows the hearts and minds of people. And whether they are truly his or not, um, I, I think that what we run into is this has been very instructive in, in that it actually has, to me, shown how much of a falling away from the truth of the gospel we actually have in what professes to be Christianity in North America. Um, You know, you always hear talking about that, uh, about the great falling away, and it's always put in the future tense. Yeah. There is a great falling away coming. And I heard that spoken about for decades. And it's like, with all due respect, you know, when you look at situations like, um, I'll just give you an example, for instance, approximately half of, of people who stand in the pulpits uh, before congregations on a Sunday morning in, in, the, in the United States do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
that he is not God come in the flesh. Now, if you do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ in, in the face of the Gospel of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's like, this is not a, oh, we can debate this. This is a rather gray area thing. This is an express statement of Scripture. It's a matter of fact. It's a matter of fact of, of faith, and it's like you either believe it or you don't, but it's like, when it says anybody who denies that that Jesus has come in the flesh, and, and it's like you if you don't believe this, you're not his. Exactly. The Bible makes it very clear. It's like there are certain red lines that it's like you either believe this or you don't. You're either a Christian or you're not. Exactly. If you do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, then you are not a Christian. Period. And yet half of those who stand in pulpits in America do not believe this. And if that's so, if half of those who stand in the pulpits don't believe it, then you can figure that more than half of those who sit in the congregations don't believe it. And if that's the case, how many Christians truly are Christians in North America, in the United States of America. And so we have these situations where, you know, this is why you're not hearing people stand up because they do not truly believe the Bible. They don't truly believe in Christ. They don't believe the gospel. They simply stand in pulpits or sit in pews because if you're in the pulpit, it's an easy living. And it sure beats basically, you know, doing a, a hard day's physical labor. Um, you know, you don't want to dig ditches. No. But you'd rather stand in on a platform and basically spout words of no meaning to you. And sadly, probably very little meaning to uh, those who are listening because you've already departed from the faith if you ever had it in the first place. You're, you're digging spiritual ditches for spiritual deaths. That's all you're doing. Yeah, you're, you're basically... You're a spiritual uh, grave digger is all you've become. <laughs> exactly. And sadly, that's going to send people to hell. And God's going to... And he'll look at you and be like, why'd you do that? And that's really it, you know. Because people take being in the pulpit so lightly. You know what I mean? It's like anyone can do it. And technically, anyone can if God calls you to that. Yeah. But a lot of people are just like, well, it's it's just a person on a stage saying stuff that fe makes you feel good and gives you positivity. There's no, like we've said, there's no conviction, hardly any re repentance. There's, it's like a fire is just being snuffed out from people to the point where, when a church is basically held hostage, we would much rather sing feel-good praise songs and be told how good we are and not even mention the fact that there's people not far from us. I mean, granted, it's Canada. 
Yeah. But that's a sister country. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's not that far. Yeah, it's not like we're discussing the persecuted church in, in Africa China or, or in Asia yeah. or anywhere, somewhere it's off in, on another continent across the sea somewhere. We're talking about something that's happening in North America. Yeah. It's, it's basically at the doorstep. It really is. It's, it's on our front porch. And no one's talking about it. I'm not saying you should just abandon all, you know, stuff. But it needs to be mentioned because I talked to uh, some people at work who, you know, claim to be Christians. And I believe they are Christians, but they have no idea about they had no idea about any of that stuff going on because the sheep don't know because the shepherds don't speak. Yeah. Let's be perfectly honest. What most people in churchdom in, um, in America know is what they hear in Sunday services from the platform, from the ministers. And the ministers are largely silent. Yeah. And sometimes the ministers don't even take the time to, like, they, some ministers probably don't even know. No, because they don't know anything that their denomination don't tell them. Exactly. Um, it, it, there, it, here's the thing about this. What we've seen is the results of uh, this falling away of the sheep is an extension of the falling away of the shepherds. And the truth of the matter is we are woefully short of shepherding in the body of Christ in the United States. Um, the truth of the matter is if every minister had taken to the word of God how many more churches in North America would refuse such mandates? And in, you know, if every pastor in Canada actually sincerely read the scriptures, studied it out, counted the cost, and then took appropriate biblical action, it would not simply be one congregation in one Canadian province. It would be multitudes of congregations in multitudes of, uh, of places across Canada, across the United States. It would not have been just one, a handful here, a handful there. We saw it last year, you know. Um, basically, if you, you know, again, most churches in America at first shut down because there was a lack of information and people wanted to do right by their congregations and communities. Yeah. But the tone quickly changed to where we're not asking you, we're telling you. Exactly. You really don't have a choice. We were saying please, not because we're asking you, we were just being polite. You're gonna do this. And if you don't do this, watch what happens. Um, you, you saw that kind of situation in Canada, Rodney Howard Brown, um, who, you know, put actually people have very little knowledge of the fact that the man spent six figures over a hundred thousand dollars modifying his church and sanctuary, 
uh, to actually create um, a healthy environment for people to come and worship in. You didn't hear that on any of the national networks or even many of the Christian networks who were basically trashing the man from the get-go. Yeah. And basically, he, he you can actually, you know, go on, go on the Internet, read the messages, listen to what he said. Um, the man, you know, their ministry down there spent a lot of money on all kinds of venting systems and all to try and make it to try to make it a a place and they were doing basically what they believed was a reasonable um they put their money where their mouth was yeah and that they actually spent money and they committed to trying to make as healthy a um environment for people to come and worship god in as was um, absolutely doable. And yet you would have thought that basically he was looking to pack him in with sardines and basically have people cough into air conditioning systems so that they could infect as many people as possible the way it was spun in the media. It was ridiculous. It seems like the most criticism is coming from Christians, you know? Ignorant Christians. Yeah, it's like, it, it just doesn't make sense. Because as Christians, we're supposed to come together and try to help each other. And try to go to each other if we do have issues. But we don't. We just would much rather blast them. Well, that's it. It was easier to attack Rodney Howard Brown and, rather than go to him. And it's like, you know what? If you go to him... Listen to what he's saying. Listen, watch, see what he's doing. Be be respectful and present your position and be respectful and listen to his position. Exactly. And whether you agree at the end of the day or don't, pray for the man. Pray for the congregation. But be honest with your congregation as to why you do or not or do not agree. But nobody basically wants to say anything. No. Because right now what we've got are a bunch of people in pulpits, both independents and denominations, who are terrified to say anything or do anything for fear that either their government or their denomination or the media or somebody is going to come after them. They are terrified. I have, I have never seen a time in which people who claim to be Christian ministers are so fear-driven, so cowardly, so spineless as in this day. It is amazing to me that men and women who know better not just the ones who are ignorant and too lazy to become educated. We have plenty of that. But those who know better and then those who choose to willingly remain ignorant so that they do not have to commit to doing or not doing something, to saying or not saying something, 
this is the point where we're at right now. And I'm looking at this and it's like, this is a, this is an atmosphere in which it is easy to see that there are multitudes of people in pulpits that will gladly lead people to take the mark of the beast, that will gladly lead people to bow the knee before Antichrist, who will gladly promote the, the blasphemies of the false prophet. These are people who, unfortunately, if they do not repent of what they're doing right now, their patterns of behavior leave no hope for the, for the belief that they will suddenly, apart from a miracle of God, find a spine. And that's really something that concerns me. It's not, you know, what's happening to, to Grace Life and, and, and those folks up there in Canada that concerns me for them in, individually and corporately. I am much more concerned by the fact that in Canada and in the United States, you do not see more people standing up against the wrongs of these things, that you don't see this. It's like, look, we are called to love all men. We are called to be salt and light in the earth. There is nobody who cares for the community more than we do. Nevertheless, we have a biblical mandate to be the body of Christ. And I think what we are seeing here, you know, I, I think it's like, how, how have we gotten here? And... It's kind of like Jesus's words in, in the parables where it says in Matthew, it says, uh, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he... Hath he not root in himself, but endureth, but endureth for a while? For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of, the, of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he that received seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It is really like that. You have so many people that basically the word has been received, but the hearts are stony. Um, you know, there are those who received it, but their hearts are the wayside. Um, and then there's those who basically, you know, they... Then there's the thorny ground that, that chokes away the, the word. And you look at this and it's like, how many people that have heard the word have had it stolen out of them? 
Others, as soon as the persecution came, they withered like crazy. And then others, you know what? We're not going to let it affect our finances. We're not going to let it affect our, our uh, organizations. We're not going to let it affect our cash flow. We're going to basically go along to get along. And so you look at this and it's like, okay, what kind of fruit are you bearing in this? Whatever people, however this goes in Canada, understand this. What they have done there is they have cast seed. And what they're going, and the seed they're casting is going to bear fruit. There are going to be people who listen. There are going to, people, going to be people who learn. There are going to be people who, who will eventually know. Because if you think that this isn't coming around again, or that this isn't going to get worse, or it's not going to come to your, your nation, your state, your backyard, wake up and smell the coffee. This isn't where this goes. It doesn't, it doesn't slack up. It just pauses to regroup itself. And so my thing is simply this. If we're going to be the men and women of God that we're called to be, we need courage. You know, I think it's interesting in the book of Revelation when it talks about those who basically burn the first category of the cowards. I mean, when, when you get to, to those who basically get bundled up and burnt, first, first in line uh, to, uh, in the mention is the cowards burn first. And it's like, you know what? Um, I don't care to burn at all. And I certainly don't care to burn first. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think there's a point where uh, men and women in the pulpits and the pews need to start asking themselves some serious questions. Um, we need to have not self-centered responses, but Christ-centered responses, biblical-based responses. And we need to, to be steadfast in them. Um, you know, the idea that any time you're told what to do, if you had, if, if the disciples had done that, what happened? They were gathered together. They were beaten and told, don't go preaching that Jesus now again. Well, what did they do? They gathered together and they started, you know, it's like, Lord, Move by your spirit. If, uh, if memory serves, then the Holy Spirit came on them powerfully. They went out to minister again. Oh, yeah. And it's like, but if they had obeyed, well, they wouldn't have said a thing. If there had been without, without that, there would have been no Protestant Reformation. Because the Catholic rulers who were controlled by Rome were saying, do this. But they considered, they continued to do that. We wouldn't have printed Bibles today if it weren't for those who were willing to stand up and count it. We wouldn't have uh, Protestants, Protestant Christianity, if people were not willing to stand and be courageous and, and do the right thing and the biblical thing and the godly thing. It's one of those things where you have to ask yourself, what are we giving up for giving in to what everybody else is wanting us to do? It's 
you're whenever you give in, you are giving up something. Yeah. And yeah. as a Christian, you're giving up a lot. I do think what we're seeing is I know there's going to come a time very soon that the Lord is going to basically separate uh, the wheat from the tares. Yeah. But until that time, the wheat and the tares grow up together. However, as we approach that day and the end of this day, you have to say it's going to be obvious the difference between who are the wheat and who are the tares because they're going to become made known. You're going to tell it's like, you know what? This is a true believer. This is an unbeliever. This is, a, this is genuine. This is a pretender. This is one who is, who is truly of God, and this is one who simply um, plays, the part. plays the part. You're going to see the difference between shepherds and hirelings. You're going to see the difference between sheep and goats. And, you know, and the one will persecute the other. Yeah. The goats will persecute the sheep. The uh, hirelings will persecute the shepherds. That's why I'm really, um, you know, I'm not concerned about the things that people are saying about James Coates or Grace Life Church because they're being who they are. He's being a shepherd. The people there are being sheep. My concern are, well, I think we're seeing, though, in the process, God is revealing hirelings and he's revealing goats. Yeah. And so I think at this point, if anybody within the sound of our voice needs to get themselves educated. Yeah. They need a biblical foundation. And they need to keep up with stories like this one and any ones that are like this. Um, and recognize that it's going to happen. Not that it can happen. It's going to happen um, if your church or denomination does not bow the knee. And so the question is, where are you going to stand? Because each of us will stand alone before the Almighty and give account for the words and deeds that we um, have spoken and done in this life. At that point, you can't blame it on the pastor. You can't blame it on the denomination or the media or the government or anybody else. You have to stand there and you basically got to personally, you know, he's my personal savior, but he's also my personal judge. Yeah. And I will give a personal account to him at the end of the day. And so I can't basically do the Adam thing and blame the devil or blame whoever's next to me and, and try to pass the buck. It's all on you in the end. It's all on us. We need to get informed. We need to get prepared because understand you need to be spiritually prepared for this. No, this is what this is. And then you need to be, you need to ask yourself, am I really willing 
to follow Christ all the way. If the shepherd was willing to lay down his life for the sheep, the sheep should be willing to die for the shepherd. That's been the history of the church for nearly 2,000 years. We began that way, and you know what? I think we're going to wrap up that way. So prepare yourselves. Christ is coming soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you want to stay up to date on all things regarding the show, please follow our Instagram page at Voice in the Wilderness underscore podcast or check out our Facebook page at Voice in the Wilderness. We also have a YouTube channel called Voice in the Wilderness. So please subscribe to it. Follow me on all the social media. If you're listening to this on a streaming service that allows you to follow me, please do that. If you're listening to this and they allow reviews or something like that, please leave me a review. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much for all your support. 